Joining me today is Jason Bedrick. He is the Director of Policy at EdChoice. Mr. Bedrick, where is the best place for people to find information on EdChoice? EdChoice.org. Or you can follow us on Twitter at EdChoice or uh, my account at Jason Bedrick. Well, thank you so much for uh, joining me at the Libertarian Institute today. What does it mean to be educated? You know, that's a great question. Uh, sort of a first principles type question. Uh, I, I recall a few years ago, I was at a conference. It's called the uh, International Conference on School Choice and Reform. Uh, and there was uh, one of the conference organizers is a professor at the University of Hawaii, uh, Bob Fox, uh, who just passed away this last year. Um, and Bob had actually uh, organized another conference of a whole bunch of different edu educators, uh, you know, at the K-12 level, professors, um, people that are, you know, study education theory and all sorts of things. Uh, and the whole purpose there was to um, define what, uh, what an education should be. And after several days, uh, he concluded that it would be impossible to reach agreement on that, uh, on that question. Uh, so uh, I can't say that I know or that I have uh, a one definition of what it means to be educated. I think that uh, it's easier to say what it means to be educated for a particular purpose. Uh, like it would be easier to say, well, what does it mean to be uh, an educated citizen in the United States? And I could come up with a certain curriculum, certain um, certain materials that, uh, or, or certain uh, uh, ideas that a student has to understand, you know, the basics, uh, how many branches of government are there, what's the relationship between the, you know, federal, state, and local government, uh, what's the constitution, you know, these sorts of things. Um, but I would say generally, uh, it is much more difficult to, uh, to say what it means to be educated. Long how answer to a short question. How can we differentiate between a productive school and an unproductive school? So it's interesting. It's obviously this is very related to your first question. And there is a ton of debates over uh, how we can do that. Uh, those in public policy like to look at concrete, seemingly objective measures. Right. And a lot of what schools are supposed to do is actually very subjective and uh, extraordinarily hard to measure. And so what we do is we say, well, you know, like we can, some things are pretty much, easy. they're pretty easy to measure, right? Uh, whether or not a child can read uh, on grade level, uh, whether a child can uh, uh, do math at a certain level. And uh, these are fairly objective measures. And so what we say is, well, these are gonna be proxies for everything else that a school does. Uh, and there was some early evidence that uh, those are actually pretty good proxies, right? You could, you could do some of these tests, and then many years later, uh, you can look at whether, you know, um, what the level of earnings are, and if the level of earnings of that person is correlated to their test scores years earlier, uh, other uh, indications of, uh, you know, whether they report being happy, satisfied in their life, uh, whether they um, uh, stayed out of jail or not, right? There's, there's a number of different uh, life outcomes that we can look at later, and there seems to be a, a relatively high degree of correlation there. Uh, but it, in recent years, especially as states have started to 
not just test the students and provide information to parents, but go the extra step of um, attaching carrots and sticks to the tests, uh, that we have found a, a major disconnect between the test scores and these later uh, life outcomes and, and other sorts of outcomes, even, even things that aren't that much later, like uh, high school graduation or college matriculation. Uh, and so uh, I don't think there is one easy measure. Uh, I think that the fact that there is so much disagreement over what it means to be educated and there is so much disagreement even among the top experts over how best to measure that means that uh, we should have a lot of humility and we should have a system that prioritizes the choices of families those who have the most information about their child's particular circumstance uh, and who have the greatest interest in ensuring the success of that child because they are closest to them and love them most. Is there a correlation between schools that get a lot of funding and schools that have a lot of uh, intellectual students that are reading at high uh, levels? Um, we've looped back to not being able to measure uh, a productive yeah. school. Is there a correlation between high amounts of money and good outcomes with regard to educational results? Uh, no, there is not. Uh, there is a ton of research on this. Uh, Professor Eric Hanushek at Stanford uh, famously uh, compiled all this research. And what he found is, no, there is just not a correlation between these two things. There are high spending states that have lower scores. There are low spending states that have higher scores. Uh, even uh, Paul Peterson at Harvard and a team of researchers uh, a few years ago uh, looked at, well, what about if we if we don't look at levels, but what if we look at um, changes over time, right? So maybe, you know, some states had uh, increases in funding. Other states uh, had either slight decreases or, or their, uh, the increase was not as fast. Uh, and so is there any correlation there? No, none whatsoever. Uh, not only that, on international exams, uh, like the PISA, uh, the United States does not do very well. Uh, we usually rank somewhere in the, the 30s, uh, and yet, uh, with a couple exceptions like Luxembourg, so these are like very small, wealthy countries, uh, with, with only a couple exceptions like that, uh, the United States spends the most per capita of, of any of the OECD nations. So. Uh, no, there is no correlation between funding and outcomes that we can so far detect. I went to a uh, anti-school choice conference in Scottsdale not too long ago, and I asked uh, one of the women. Uh, one of the her name was Beth Lewis. I don't know if she she's very active oh, in, yeah. uh, in this side of. Uh, she, uh, she runs a group called Save Our Schools. No, that's the one. I Save Our Schools. Yes. Stop reminding me of it. I just stopped having the nightmares, please. Uh, so, so I go up to her and I sort of uh, play a little ignorant at these things. I go, so what is what is this school choice thing anyways? Like, what are they even talking about? So thinking she's talking to an ignoramus, she goes, oh, basically what they're doing is taking money out of public schools. And that and that was her definitive mic drop statement. And then she more or less just moved on. So talking to that mindset, one. What yeah, actually, by the way, she just tweeted today, and I should note this is National School Choice Week. Uh, she tweeted today, private school vouchers do not improve student achievement or academic outcomes. 
Despite the billions of dollars spent by special interests trying to prove otherwise, there's no arguing with the facts. That is completely illiterate. Actually, uh, the vast majority of the research goes in entirely the opposite direction. Um, yes, there are a few studies, uh, particularly out of uh, Virginia, sorry, not Virginia, out of Louisiana, which has the, the most over-regulated and poorly designed voucher program in the country that did find that there was a, a reduction in uh, test scores. But uh, in pretty much every other state or city that had a voucher program where there has been a study, and these are random assignment studies, uh, what they have found is a statistically significant positive effect, not only on things like students' test scores, but also graduation rates, college matriculation rates, um, a reduced likelihood of having a child out of wedlock, reduced likelihood of being arrested for a misdemeanor or a felony, uh, you know, just on and on and on. There is a ton of research. Um, and, and yet the other side, facts do not matter. They have their narrative, they have their talking points, and they're just going to say whatever it takes. What does it mean to support school choice? Well, first, I think we have to define school choice. Uh, and there are a wide variety of definitions. I think the overarching umbrella idea is that the money follows the child uh, to a wide variety of different types of learning environments. But that could include things like interdistrict choice, right? So instead of uh, the money just being allocated to the school district uh, where I live, uh, you could uh, enroll in a different district and the money can follow you there, right? So you can choose any restaurant in the city as long as it's Taco Bell. But you don't have to go to just this Taco Bell. You can go to the Taco Bell that's, you know, three miles down the street if you want. Uh, you know, so that's that's more choice, but it's still not great. Uh, then there are these things called magnet schools or exam schools where um, they're usually a part of a school district or a part of the public school system. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes they... Um, you know, they have certain requirements for getting in. They may have a certain focus like STEM. Then you have what are called charter schools. Uh, so get, we're getting, you know, further in the direction of freedom. Charter schools are now, um, they are a, essentially a public-private partnership. So they are considered public schools. Uh, they are, uh, quote-unquote, free, meaning no charge to uh, the families who show up and they are, pub they are directly publicly funded on a per-pupil basis, uh, and they are privately managed. So it is a private organization that runs the school, uh, and they have uh, much more freedom and flexibility um, and autonomy than a traditional public school. Uh, but they can't, you know, at least under current law, they can't be religious. There's a number of restrictions that are on them. Uh, then you have private school choice. Uh, the three main types of private school choice programs are vouchers, tax credit scholarships, and education savings accounts. Uh, so vouchers, <clears throat> vouchers is just the money follows the child to the school of your choice, whether it's an out-of-district public school or a private school. In most cases, they're, they're picking a private school. But think of that just like a coupon, right? So the state says we would normally be spending $8,000 to educate your child. Uh, we're going to give you $7,000 and you can go take it to the private school down the street and, and put that toward their tuition. Uh, the tax credit scholarship is very similar, except it's using private funds. So in those cases, and, and we have this here in Arizona, 
Uh, a family will make, uh, sorry, taxpayers, whether individuals or corporations, will make a donation to a scholarship organization. Families will then apply for scholarships, and if they're eligible, they can get money to go to private school. The latest and the greatest is what's called the education savings account. Uh, so there, usually they're public, publicly funded. A couple of cases, they're, they're, you know, they use the tax credit mechanism, but in most cases, publicly funded. Uh, and instead of, you know, whereas the voucher is like a coupon here, you get to spend the funds on a wide variety of different expenditures. So private school tuition, but also things like tutoring, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning, special needs therapy. Um, even you can save for college. You can roll the funds over year to year for, to save for later expenses. So that, I think, gives uh, families the greatest degree of freedom and flexibility to customize their child's education. When people hear public, they assume unbiased. When they hear private, they assume uh, very biased and agenda-driven for mostly the elites of the world. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, people assuming that public means unbiased and purely objective and educational? Because that drives the uh, motivation for people to blindly give these people blank checks. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Um, there's, there's nobody who is without a, a worldview. Um, of course, I have a worldview. The person who disagrees with me has an agenda. They're ideological. I'm principled, right? Uh, but I don't even like to call them public schools because, uh, you know, what we call a public school is far less public, if by public we mean open to the public, uh, than a privately owned mall, right? Uh, you, there, I don't know of a, a single mall in America that says you can only come and shop here if you live within this certain zone, right? Uh, so I call them district schools. Some call them government schools because they're run by the government. Uh, I call them district schools because they are, it, it, it accurately portrays that uh, you can only get access to it usually if you're within some arbitrary line. Uh, and uh, so I think that fundamentally, though, I think we're, we're, we're asking the wrong question. Um, families, sorry, back up. The system is designed, supposedly, to educate children. It's not the other way around. That's why uh, in recent years this, this uh, slogan, fun students not systems, has uh, um, caught on among families because they're recognizing uh, that our policymakers have it exactly backwards. You constantly hear well, if kids leave, it's going to hurt the public school system. It's like, well, wait a second. What's that system for? Isn't it for those kids? Right. The purpose of our and this was a, the, 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 the insight that Milton Friedman had uh, in his 1955 essay, uh, The Role of Government in Education, where he said, look, even if, the, if there's a compelling um, interest that the government has in ensuring that every single child has access to a quality education. Right. This is something that's in pretty much every state constitution uh, and that the founders uh, were concerned about because they said if we're going to have a republic, if we're going to have self-government, uh, we need to have an educated populace. So sure, some families might not be able to afford a, a quality education. We need to make sure every child has access to a quality of education so that we have an educated citizenry, so that we have a quality of opportunity. But it does not follow this was Friedman's insight, does not follow from that premise that the government should also run the schools. Much better, Friedman said, would be to allocate those 
uh, public funds directly to the families and that the families who, again, have the most information about their children and uh, are, are, you know, on net, uh, have the best interests of their kids in mind, uh, love them the most. They're the ones that are in the best position to make choices about their children's education. Yeah, it's like saying, I really think everyone needs food for us to have a civilized society. Therefore, I support a free market in food. It's important we don't have the state coercively funding and monopolizing food or but else wait, we'll but, have but, short. Yeah. But, but aren't some parents, don't some parents not provide good quality, nutritious meals to their children? Uh, well, yes, that's true. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, in cases of neglect uh, or, you know, abuse, the government should step in. But we never say, well, you know, what we really need is the government to provide food to every single family, because otherwise, how are the kids going to eat? Uh, and we should uh, we should have some sort of government inspector knock at your door every night to make sure that uh, the food you're providing to your children meets some government designed uh, nutrition standards or anything like that. We trust families on uh, some of the most important uh, aspects of raising a child, food, shelter, medical care. Uh, but when it comes to education, there's this idea that, no, no, some other expert needs to be involved. Uh, and I think, frankly, there's no evidence of that. In fact, all the evidence points at the parents doing a better job on net than uh, some government bureaucrat. But even if the parents and people in general are untrustworthy, that's even more of a reason that we need uh, the choice of opting out, of disassociating with bad actors. That's the ultimate check and balance that you can have in uh, in this sort of system. Uh, I look at what the uh, state schools have produced, and after at least 12 years, K through 12 uh, education from what ages like 6 to 18, it's something like 12 years hours a day, five days a week, month uh, for like 10 months out of the year, and they produce populations that are illiterate with regard to humility, as you mentioned, let alone economics, history, philosophy, and logic. Uh, do you have uh, a, a sort of uh, North Star as to what sort of uh, schooling type of system or curriculum people should embrace if they want uh, to increase the likelihood of getting the best outcome? Um, I'll take off my EdChoice hat for a second because uh, at EdChoice, we're agnostic. Our, our, our um, main concern is that families have choices. Uh, there is no one best way. Uh, uh, and uh, even if there was, we don't know what it is. Uh, and so, again, we should have a, a lot of humility and our system should reflect that, uh, meaning that we should put our our trust in parents to make these sorts of decisions. And what works very well for one child doesn't necessarily work well for another child. Uh, that said, personally, I'm very attracted to classical education. Uh, you know, so this is uh, a, a form of education that um, spends a lot of time uh, thinking about the good, the true, and the beautiful, that reads great books, uh, that doesn't just read textbooks, that actually goes back and looks at primary sources, uh, that uh, is very uh, oriented toward uh, history and uh, great literature and great art. Uh, and so uh, really, you know, it's, it's the humanities and it's getting children uh, to engage deeply with ideas, uh, with cultures that are not their own, uh, but that, um, you know, form in, in many ways the, the basis for our, our own culture. 
I think you come out of uh, a, a properly done classical education with um, a much better understanding about how we got where we are, especially in the West. Uh, and, um, you know, these students tend to wrestle with the, you know, sort of questions about, you know, what it means to be human and mortal and uh, these you know, all sorts of questions that are raised in great literature. Uh, whether that's Virgil or Shakespeare, uh, that uh, a lot of public schools often don't get into because, you know, uh, when you've got a system that is very, uh, you know, politically controlled, there's sort of a lowest common denominator factor. So they, they kind of evade a lot of the big questions in life and they sort of assume that's, that's meant for home and, you know, uh, that, that's for nights and weekends. Uh, so, I like classical education, but but that's not the only form of education. You can go in the total opposite direction. I know a lot of people who have uh, done things like Montessori or even unschooling, where it's very child-centric. There's not like, you know, with classical education, there's sort of a canon that you're trying to engage with and, and master. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got, like I said, Montessori and, and unschooling. Um, where the child is is basically free to go in a whole bunch of different directions and explore uh and i know a lot of people that have done very very well in that system as well so i i think i would just encourage families uh who have children to go out and explore all the different options and don't assume that whatever is uh on offer at the local district school is the end-all be-all of education probably not not something that people listening to this podcast need to hear well we're d trying to uh d diversify our uh, portfolio here and uh, r reach people who uh who aren't exactly in uh, in agreement with us so why should someone who identifies with being on the left someone who values equality opportunity helping the oppressed the disadvantaged those in dire poverty why should they support school choice you know it's interesting it's actually um almost a left-wing argument that got me into school choice uh, in, in the first place. Um, I came to support school choice first when I was in college, uh, and I believed very strongly in equality of opportunity. Uh, now, I chose my parents well, and so uh, I chose parents who could afford to live in a, an area that had a very high quality public school, at least in grade eight. Uh, there was no high school in my area uh, in New Hampshire. Um, but they were able to afford to send me to uh, a Catholic school for, for high school, uh, even though I'm not Catholic. But uh, I, I thought, you know, if this country is based on the idea of equality of opportunity, you don't really have equality of opportunity if you're assigned to a school based on the home you happen to be able to afford. And what I saw was that kids whose parents couldn't afford to live in, let's say, the Scottsdales of the world, uh, generally had access to much crummier schools, right? Uh, and so I thought, well, of course, it must be because, you know, that that's an area where it's a lot of poor people and they don't have as much money to pay in taxes. And so uh, probably the public schools over there aren't as good because they're not as well funded. And then I was in for a shock. I was studying, I was doing a, a paper on this in a political science class. I found out that actually a lot of these low-performing, uh, low-income areas were spending a lot more money per pupil, that the state and feds were kicking in a lot of money 
specifically for low-income families, these schools had, they were flush with cash. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so I realized, you know, that I think the key feature is that uh, the, the better performing schools are much more accountable to the families because those families have the ability to leave, take their money with them. And the lower income families are essentially a captive audience. That's when I, came, I found Milton Friedman's idea. Now, Friedman came at it from a different direction, but reached the same conclusion from his study of economics and, and for the same for, the, for exactly uh, this reason, uh, which was that fam when, when an institution is directly accountable for its performance to the people who bear the costs of poor performance, then that institution is has a much stronger incentive provide a quality service than one that has a captive audience. This is classic uh, economics. Uh, so I think that's where the left should should embrace school choice. If you really do care about equality of opportunity uh, or equity as the, uh, the term that's currently in vogue, uh, then you should care. You should want a system that's going to empower the least among us with greater access to those educational opportunities. Exactly. And they're always telling us, well, we need regulation because we might have monopolies and monopolies give us worse quality and higher prices than otherwise would exist. Yet they advocate a compulsory education monopoly in virtually every district across uh, the, the country. I want to read something from AFT.org, American Federation of Teachers. Here is their mission statement. Tell me how you respond to this. Try to make it through two sentences without interrupting because we're running low on time. Our mission, the American Federation of Teachers, is a union of professionals that champions fairness, democracy, economic opportunity, and high-quality public education, health care, and public services for our students, their families, and our communities. We are committed to advancing these principles through community engagement, organizing, collective bargaining, and political activism, and especially through the work our members do. That sounds very caring. Why are you against that? And what would you say to someone who sympathizes with that mission statement? I'd say that's um, not exactly what they do. <laughs> right? uh, it's interesting that they have the word students in there uh, because they don't represent the students. And actually, uh, it was a, a previous, uh, I think Albert Schenker, uh, who infamously said that, uh, you know, he, something along the lines of, uh, you know, he'll start representing the students when the students start paying dues, right? They represent the interests of their members, uh, and very often the interests of their members come into conflict with the interests of children. Uh, we have seen this, especially in the last couple of years, with schools closing down, right? Families getting very upset. They say, well, wait a second, uh, you know, I have to go to work. And, uh, you know, they think it's safe for me to return to, to a, a regular work environment. And uh, I see that the pub, the private school down the street is open for business and all the kids are going there and they're not all getting sick and passing on illness all over the place. Why is it that uh, my local school, my public so-called public school uh, isn't open? And the answer is that, well, if the teachers unions decided that uh, they wanted to be shut down and they preferred to be on you know, Zoom. Uh, didn't matter what the families thought they were going to shut down. Uh, there was actually some interesting research that uh, has shown that uh, rates of school closures 
were not at all correlated with, uh, with COVID cases. The rates of school closures were, however, highly correlated with the power of the unions in that area. Uh, so, you know, we just see uh, in a wide variety of areas when the teachers unions interests differ from the students, uh, the teacher, the unions are going to side with the with their members and not with the students. Well, final question. Um, I'm experiencing terrible cognitive dissonance with all this logic you're giving me. Are there any more analogies you could use to explain to me why why I should support the concept of school choice? Uh, analogies. Uh, I, I don't have any right off the boat. Here's one. Uh, it's the rising tide that lifts all ships. Uh, <laughs> so how's that for you? And what do I mean by that? So you have these chicken littles out there who are constantly saying that the sky is falling. There's another analogy for you. Uh, they say, well, you know, what's going to happen is, um, you know, if uh, if we have school choice, uh, the families who care the most about education are going to leave uh, and, and leave the public schools. And that means those schools are going to have the harder to teach kids and less money to teach them. And the quality is going to decline and then more people are going to leave and the quality is going to decline even further. And then even more people are going to leave. And it's going to be a death spiral. It's going to destroy the public school system. Uh, and... Uh, the reality uh, is is exactly the opposite. Uh, we've got three decades of research on this. We've got 28 studies uh, of the effect of school choice policies on the performance of, of traditional public schools. 25 out of the 28 studies find a statistically significant positive impact. One found no difference, two found harm. Um, but those two are, you know, I won't get into it, but... One was in Indiana, one was in Florida, and in both those states, we've got several studies showing positive effects. You're always going to have some sort of outlier studies. But uh, in any case, the overwhelming consensus of the research literature is that public schools improve their performance, which, again, goes to Milton Friedman's insight. It means that when families were given more choices and there was more competition, those schools that were not performing so well had a very strong incentive to improve because if they didn't, families would leave and take their money with them. So they are starting to improve. Uh, and yeah, so that's why it's the rising tide that lifts all ships. Uh, everybody benefits whether you're participating or uh, stay behind in a district school. Thanks to everyone for watching Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone and the Libertarian Institute. Links to edchoice.org will be in the description below. Mr. Bedrick, thank you so much for being generous with your time. Thanks so much for having me.